everyone. This is Alicia Halliday, and this is the first podcast of 2023. I thought I'd start the year with a look back on 2022, which was a return to quasi-normalcy in both the world at large and autism research. We're still suffering through the pandemic, and we all know it's been incredibly challenging for autism families and researchers. But this pivot to telehealth, which I'll talk about, has led to advances in autism diagnoses, mental health supports, and interventions that will likely benefit autistic people across the globe for years to come. If you want a list of all the science that the SAB and Autism Science Foundation felt was notable, go to our website at autismsciencefoundation.org and scroll to the bottom. The year-end summary is listed at the bottom. So one of the things that I think you should all know about is that you guys, whether it was whether or not you were donating money to Autism Science Foundation or Autism Speaks, or if you participated in research, you were actively part of autism research this year. And one of the main things you did is your tax dollars supported $100 million of NIH grants funded in 2022. A link to what they are can be found in this podcast summary. So the first thing that 2022 taught us, which isn't really new, but there were some advances, is that early identification leads to an earlier diagnosis. But diagnosis continues to happen at all ages, all the way through adulthood. One of the things that came out was that the developmental milestones, and these are skills that are used by pediatricians and healthcare providers, that children reach at a certain age. They're used as markers for developmental progress. The CDC, together with the AAP, updated these milestones to track to what 75% of children can do at certain ages rather than 50%. And of course, this caused some pushback. But in addition to maybe changing that those standards, they added new time points as well as markers that might predict a developmental disorder diagnosis. So also when it comes to developmental milestones, reaching these milestones can be delayed from months to years in people with autism. What scientists found were that the delays were more severe and more variable in those with co-occurring intellectual disability and even those with a rare genetic variant associated with autism. And these are things that are found in the Simon Searchlight, or you can think of them as syndromic autisms. They're things like Phelan McDermott syndrome, DUP15Q, Angelman syndrome, all sorts of things, part of the agenda initiative. So new research reinforced the need to focus on milestones and the importance of early intervention. If you notice your infant is struggling with new skills, tell your healthcare provider. If they dismiss you, get a new healthcare provider. One of the things that's particularly interesting is language skills, and they are also important as a predictor in an autism diagnosis. Research from the Baby Siblings Research Consortium showed that things like maternal education levels and early gestures are important predictors of these language skills, suggesting that these things may be markers or targets for intervention. There are still a few multiple biomarkers under investigation. I want to say that some are better than others at not just an autism diagnosis, but response to intervention. This is an area that can be used to promote earlier diagnosis 
and also more objective measures in the effectiveness of interventions. And you'll be continuing to hear about them in 2023 and beyond. So I want to wrap up this section by saying parents and clinicians should continue to monitor these developmental milestones early in life. Early signs are not a substitute for a diagnosis, but some supports and interventions can be provided that allow for an improvement of trajectories across the lifespan. The second topic was about parent-mediated interventions and trainings. They actually work. I know sometimes parents get a bad rap, but a review of 30 studies showed promising results from parent-mediated interventions. Of course, more studies are needed. Parent-mediated interventions can be used for teaching everything from, the core, from improving core autism symptoms to other things like self-care, including toothbrushing and dental care. They should be customized. They can and they should be customized for race and culture. And some parent-mediated interventions have been successfully tested in this telehealth hybrid format, meaning sometimes you see them online and sometimes you see them in person. So this leads the way for others to investigate this hybrid model. And while some have suggested that parents only recognize the weaknesses in their children, evidence strongly shows that parents know their children's strengths and use those strengths to help support their family. And educators also note them in the classroom. Finally, siblings play such an important role in the outcome of autistic individuals And they also experience their own challenges, so they shouldn't be ignored. In summary, parents and caregivers often feel helpless when they're concerned about their child's development and are facing long waiting lists for services. But new research shows that providing support is beneficial, not just for the parents, but the child's outcome. It elevates strengths while mitigating support challenges. Further research needs to continue to explore the role of sibling relationships and support, not just parents. Now let's get into some biology now. The brain has a distinct signature and sensory issues are on the front line. One type of immune cell in the brain has been known to affect cell communication, shape, and number. And now researchers are determined when and where these cells are expressed which lays the foundation for researching this new critical brain type called microglia. So looking at the brain in terms of brain expression, the largest study so far was conducted earlier this year, and the greatest differences in gene expression were actually seen in sensory areas like the visual cortex. This may explain the almost universal problems in sensory processing that autistic individuals experience and why sensory problems are so common. There also continues to be this pattern in brain gene expression in people with autism, where the activity or the gene expression in immune cells goes up, while the gene expression in neurons goes down or is decreased in autism. This finding has been replicated a couple times and really starts to make you think about how the brain works, and how the brain interacts with each other. But back to sensory issues. This visual area, specifically the occipital cortex, was enlarged at young ages and even more so in kids who have siblings with a diagnosis, demonstrating that genetic heritability plays a role in these areas involved with sensory processing. Speaking of sensory processing, there was a new marker detected, 
and it was differences in the activity of a neurotransmitter called GABA in the brain. It slows down the activity of brain cells, which is important because when brain cells are too active, turning it down or controlling it, slowing down that traffic is critical for sensory processing. So changing the activity of GABA in neurons may be able to alleviate sensory problems in autistic people. Another brain region, not the sensory cortex and not the occipital cortex, but it's called the amygdala, relates to anxiety in autistic people. Certain areas of the amygdala are different in size compared to neurotypicals and can explain variability and in anxiety among people with autism. There's also disruptions in connectivity from the amygdala to outside regions, which will also explain how anxiety interacts with autism features. One way to look at the brain and how the brain changes over time, rather than looking at one feature of autism at a time at certain points in time, researchers have shown that it's the ability to make gains or show potential for change over time is what's important when you're looking at brain structure. Markers of change over time are also linked to genes associated with autism and targets of intervention based on biological markers may need to focus on that change over time or the sensitivity in change over time rather than a specific number on an instrument per se. So I mentioned biomarkers, but the use of biological tools has also increased this year. I'm talking specifically about induced pluripotent stem cells. So these are cells that can be taken from the skin of someone with autism and then converted into neurons using a chemical process. Then you can take a bunch of these induced pluripotent stem cells and put them in a dish and they'll work together to create their own organoid. So that's just more than one cell. It's a group of cells together. Studies have looked at different types of autism, whether it's idiopathic or genetically based, and they've identified the creation of new brain cells as a common biological mechanism across different forms of autism. New studies, especially those out of the Sergei Pascu lab at Stanford, have also used novel tools to improve the validity of these cell-based systems. This year, Autism Science Foundation made some recommendations based on a paper about how to use behavioral models of autism animal models. So these autism animal models are usually used to identify mechanisms by which genetics and environmental factors influence their effects over behavior and neural systems. There's so many of them, and not all of them are used appropriately. So we really need, or scientists really need to pay attention to thinking about animal models as being models of neurodevelopmental disorders, not just autism. And they really need to recapitulate the biology and behavior involved in autism. So in summary, while different brain regions are specialized in their function, of course they interconnect and turn on and off in a synchronous way. Researchers need to better model humans of neurobiology, including better animal models, to understand the core and associated autism features, from sensory dysfunction to GI issues. And if you want to learn more about autism involving the brains of people, sign up for more information at the Autism Brain Net. Well, let's talk about genetics, because I think genetics is actually where there was a huge amount of new in high impact studies this year that, that grab people's attention. 
So the presence of rare genetic and common variants tend to funnel people into groups defined by intellectual disability or high educational attainment. So rare genetic variants are more associated with intellectual disability, more profound autism symptoms, where common variants are associated with that high intellectual, high educational attainment, higher IQ, and more independent living. Now, that's a trend, not exactly a rule. Even with hundreds of thousands of samples, though, scientists have not found a direct gene outcome linkage, which means across the this spectrum, there's a lot of heterogeneity. It's not everyone with an intellectual disability has a rare genetic variant or everyone who is living independently has common variations. And most likely there are linkages. There's linkages in single genes like six, the gene on 16P. However, genetics are still important. Genetic findings can identify specific needs leading to appropriate supports. And these mutations ex explain association with features like psychosis, obesity, and depression. There's some significant overlap between autism genes and genes associated with developmental disorders in general. So researchers suggest that autism specificity may be, be the result of when that gene is expressed. For example, in overall developmental disorders, Outside of just autism, genes are expressed in those early progenitor cells. In ASD, those genes may be more affected in those developing neurons. So that brings me to the point that some studies haven't found an ASD-specific gene. They show linkage to neurodevelopmental problems in general. And there are shared pathways between autism and neuropsychiatric disorders, including epilepsy and ADHD. So if I was to summarize this, I'd say that genetic markers with ASD are also associated with other neurodevelopmental conditions like ADHD, intellectual disability, and even comorbid conditions like obesity. Two major type of genetic markers like rare and common variations may represent different markers for two different phenotypes, but there's so much overlap that they're likely mixed in most people. Genetic research is also really important for a better understanding of autism and the development of individualized approaches for supports. Don't get scared and think that genetics leads to eugenics. But of course, genetics doesn't tell at all. Parental genetics and environmental factors are intertwined on a biological level. Genes associated with depression in parents are also linked to ASD in children, that same gene, so they're intertwined. Studies in Norway have offered a unique perspective of gestational exposures by taking at blood, looking at blood taken mid-pregnancy. And one study showed that cytokines or markers of immune activity are elevated during pregnancy. It's unclear what these roles these cytokines play collectively or individually or where they came from in the first place. And they're clearly not elevated in every person with autism. So we need to be careful that we need to continue to examine them but not be so myopic as thinking that there's, that's the only thing involved. Also, where you live can affect the roles of genes in the environment. Evidence by environmental factors playing a bigger role in heritability in certain areas of Sweden and the UK. So if you look at the combination of genes and environment map, sometimes it's higher for the environment in different areas. The role of the environment may also not just depend on a diagnosis, but on specific autism traits. 
And some people actually believe that genetics may control actually a diagnosis, but then the way that diagnosis presents is more of an environmental factor. Now, given that autism is part of a larger developmental disorder spectrum, we should continue to regulate toxic chemicals which are harmful to development, and those programs must be expanded. So in summary, the role of the environment in, in autism has often been dissociated from genetics when it should really be integrated and brought together to understand not just autism's causes, but biological features, behavioral features, and interventions. Outside of genetics, biological sex plays an important role. Studies replicated this year showed that females with autism have a heightened burden of genetic mutations. In addition to the rare genetic mutations that were shown not just this year but last year, research demonstrated that females with an autism diagnosis and their mothers also show a higher level of these common variants. Now, because these Elevated levels of common variation extend to even undiagnosed members of the ASD-impacted families. It demonstrates kind of that females may be more resilient, at least to genetic variation, and I would argue to all sorts of other things. Some scientists have wondered if bias in instruments used to inform a diagnosis play a role in the sex difference. So one study used a mathematical algorithm to eliminate the difference in male-female sex differences, but still females show different behavioral profiles. This further reiterates that instruments should be used to inform, not make, a diagnosis, and that autism is more than just a yes or a no. And clinicians may miss an autism diagnosis in females because of camouflaging. So camouflaging means that when you're either consciously or unconsciously trying to fit in as a typically developing girl, it does lead to a lower quality of life and it is more likely to happen in females. Intellectual disability also plays a bigger role in girls than boys. And new genetic mutations involving the X chromosome were identified and of course, these mutations are more likely to occur in females. Sex differences in brain size can also be attributed to gene expression patterns. In other words, brain differences in males and females with autism are due in part to underlying genetics. Therefore, I would say that females with autism show different biological and behavioral profiles and are understudied in research and are underserved in the community. Future studies should aim to include more females to understand and better understand their unique needs and provide targeted support. Okay, we're going to talk about the pandemic now. It's still not over, but families are in a better place than they were a year ago. Now, despite a rocky start at the, the beginning of the pandemic, opportunities to receive a diagnosis, mental health supports, and interventions via telehealth have improved, have been polished, and are not only accepted by families and clinicians, but are affected. One thing that affected the uh, acceptiveness of the online diagnosis was whether or not the diagnosis itself was unclear. Of course, there are cases where you have to bring in other experts. There's some ambiguity if the child has autism or something else. And this was exacerbated with remote diagnosis and evaluation. So that should continue to be a factor in deciding whether or not a hybrid, an online, or an in-person evaluation is needed. And it's interesting that while many families and individuals experienced a mental health decline during the pandemic, 
Some people with autism experience resiliency under these social distancing guidelines. It could be due to the degree to which services were lost, different coping styles, and pre-existing mental health attributes. But we should continue to consider about hybrid rather than all in person. Autism families suffered during the pandemic, but this also allowed for new approaches to be developed that will ultimately improve practice. These include hybrid clinical service, holistic family support, not just worried about the autism diagnosis, but what's going on at home, and also more comprehensive diagnostic practices. And I'm not going to stop this without talking about other things. It's not just all about the autism. Individuals with autism experience higher levels of anxiety, GI issues, epilepsy, and other developmental disorders like ADHD compared to those without a diagnosis. And while it's not a core autism symptom, autism, anxiety has been linked to insistence on sameness in toddlers. Insistence on sameness is a core autism feature. So there may be an underlying common mechanism. Suicide risk is higher. Sleep problems follow kids into adolescence and adulthood. There is a high degree of overlap in brain activity between ADHD kids and ASD kids. Differences are mostly seen when a symptom severity is accounted for. So ADHD and ASD show more similarity in the brain than differences. And also the behavioral profiles between ADHD and ASD are similar. Mental health concerns are present in adolescents and adults with ASD with cognitive inflexibility, and they are strongly linked to compromised mental health. Cognitive inflexibility is different than cognitive ability. It's how someone shifts their attention from one thing to another based on what's going on around them. This may be a focus for future mental health interventions. Unfortunately, there are no strong individual level predictors of childhood of what mental health issues may erupt in as adults, but factors that may lead to better mental health are better living skills and higher intellectual ability. Finally, gastrointestinal issues plague people with autism and there's very few options for treatment. ASF and NIH and other organizations came together to have a a funded meeting this year called CANDID. You can go to the website called candidgi.com. You'll see presentations which talk about different diagnostic methods. You'll hear reflections on family experiences in this area. And you'll also hear about new and innovative intervention and diagnostic methods that may really help revolutionize this area and make lives easier for people with autism and GI symptoms. Finally, I want to not ignore the fact that biases in underserved communities are getting more attention. We have not solved this issue, but a recent analysis showed a reduction in the disparities in the age of diagnosis for Black and Hispanic children over the last four years. There's been a reduction in the disparity, but a difference still exists. This is likely due to provider bias, but not necessarily all about diagnostic instrument biases. The standard diagnostic tools aren't really biased towards race or gender. Lessons learned from the pandemic reiterate the need for intense community engagement, flexibility, and an understanding that a holistic approach rather than one just focused on autism is necessary for working with underserved communities. One group developed a culturally adapted parent training program. It's delivered by black service providers and it was effective in the black community and could be a model for future engagement efforts. 
One thing that's a real problem is that only 25% of intervention studies reported the ethnic and racial makeup of their participants. So the first thing researchers want to do is do a better job of deliberately including and reporting the racial and ethnic makeup of their participants. Also, low socioeconomic status, in addition to race and ethnicity, maybe also tied into race and ethnicity, contributes to social and communication deficits in young children with autism. So racial and ethnic biases are still pervasive in autism research and diagnosis. While they're getting better, we need to continue that holistic approach to support families in all aspects of their lives beyond just an autism diagnosis. Scientists must continue to focus on the deliberate inclusion of these groups in both research and career training to better serve everyone with an autism diagnosis. I want to thank you for listening. I hope I didn't forget anything. This is just a smattering of all the important things that happened this year in autism research. And if I missed something, I am so sorry. I could go on and on and on. There was a real need, a request, and feedback from the community, you guys, that this be shortened and become more succinct. So if I miss something that's important to you, I apologize. And come at me. I'll include it in next year's yearly summary. Thanks for listening.